0: Good morning. Good to see everybody here. Good to gather together. I want to thank the worship team for uh, putting together that music and leading us in worship. It's a great thing. When you think of. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Excuse me. Thank you for this time of looking into your word. Thank you that you are worthy of all of our praises and all of our songs. And pray that you would open our eyes to the truth of your scriptures and guide us as we attempt to live godly lives for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you think of wanting more unchurched people to come to your church and you're part maybe of a leadership team or some group that's gathering to, to, to look into that, often the conversations go, go like, um, maybe they might enter into like style of service. Should we be more contemporary, more traditional, more informal? more liturgical and there's all these things that can be brought up in those conversations and you might even go into the facilities should we think about building an education building, updating the nursery or upgrading the nursery, parking lot or you might even think about adding ministry opportunities you know for youth, for children, for you know different aspects of your community, to maybe invite people in. And all of those can be very legitimate to look into, depending upon your church's circumstances. But our Bible passage this morning talks about ways to make the church more attractive, yet doesn't mention any of those kinds of things. Now, we're still not saying that those aren't important and, and that they're wrong, But if you don't have these things that the Bible is going to talk to us about this morning, then those things really won't help that much. So we're going to be in Titus chapter 2 this morning. We'll be talking about a more attractive church. And I want to begin with just the very first verse of Titus chapter 2. He says... You, however, he's talking to Titus and what he must teach the elders to do. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. In this letter, the Apostle Paul is telling Titus, his faithful helper, how he should protect these Christians because there are rebellious people, false teachers that will come into churches that have been formed and they will try to take them down a whole different pathway in order to, get, to gain uh, dishonest gain, to get dishonest gain. And after that, Paul tells Titus, in contrast to those false teachers, he says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine." <clears throat> now, you might be wondering at this, at this point, I thought you said we're going to talk about making our church more attractive. Sound doctrine kind of seems like we're going the opposite way. Well, to many people, the word sound doctrine can sound sort of dry, like being forced as a kid to go to catechism class on Sunday mor- Saturday mornings. <clears throat> But actually, as we continue with these next four verses here in Titus chapter 2, we'll see how Paul's sound doctrine can really help a church become more positive, more helpful, more meaningful, and even more attractive. So, look with me if you will. You know, he's told them that is what they need to do in order to stop those false teachers and to help the people. But let's look at verse 2 now. <clears throat> Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. <clears throat> now some of you may be wondering if you fit into that category as older men. I'm going to say we start with Dell Johnson and, and go up after that. <laughs> Now, it starts my age. Anybody my age and older, we can take this to heart. And everybody else can listen for when you get there. But um, the Apostle Paul is telling him to teach the older men. Now, <clears throat> because of this, we said that he he said you have to teach sound doctrine. Then he goes into this. And what that shows us is that sound doctrine has to do with lifestyle. And he wants to start with the older men of the church. He wants them to be good examples of good Christian living. He doesn't want the older men to just kind of drift into grumpiness or self-centeredness or become demanding or cantankerous, right? He doesn't want people in the church to have to say, well, that's just grandpa, And we know grandpas can have a tendency to devolve into grumpy old men, can't they? But Paul says to teach the older men to be temperate. That is an element of, or that is a degree of self control. Not rash, not flying off the handle, not getting mad at any little thing, but well balanced and sober minded, temperate. Uh, You don't have to worry about. you know, your head being bit off when you ask somebody a certain question. He wants them to be also respectable, worthy of respect. He wants the older men to be people that the younger men can look up to with respect and and see them as someone worthy of honor. And he says self-controlled here. And that's a part of being temperate, but it also includes prudence wisdom, um, sensibleness, being able to give good counsel. People can go to this person, this older person, for insight and helpful information. Mm -hmm. And then he says he wants them to be sound in the faith. That word sound has the idea of being healthy. He wants them to be sound in the faith and in love and in endurance. A strong Christian faith in God Faith in Christ as the Savior. Christ is the place where you've solidly staked your claim. You're not moving from there. That's what older men need to show to the rest of the congregation. Someone who can model love like Christ did. Who can do things for others, think outside of themselves. Endurance. Someone who can stand strong through the trials and you'll hear of testimonies, and you know of people that have gone through tough times, and you look up to them, these older men. And you see, in this way, older men can be a tremendous, uh, a tremendous asset to the church. Having these character traits can make a church way more attractive. Very early in my Christian life, as a young adult... I was visiting a certain church and as I was walking after the service into the aisle in order to exit the church, this older man, he was my dad's age, so he wasn't like real old, but he was was an older man, he stepped in front of me, held out his hand to shake my hand and asked my name. And he, he just saw that I was a visitor and he was being kind and wanted to greet me. And when I told him my name, he asked if I knew Barney Cheerhart. And that's what they called my dad at his work. His name was Bernie, but they called him Barney. And I said, that's my dad. And he said, I work with him at the post office. Now at this time, like I said, early in my Christian life, my parents were very worried about me and others becoming this born-again Christian. But I found out that my dad respected this man that he worked with and this man ended up inviting Laura and me to join their young marriage group even though we were just dating and we joined that group and he was a great you know lay leader in the church we benefited from that group we met at their house and then he taught a Sunday school class and we got to know all these young marrieds. and then later on as Laura and I moved closer to marriage I found out that my dad approached this man, and that that says something, because my dad usually doesn't ask anybody anything. But I found out that he approached this man and asked him what he thought about Laura and me getting married. And he said to my dad, I'd sure take her as my (laughs) daughter-in-law. So, you know, we all know this, But how much more attractive a church is when the older men are honorable, respectable, wise men. That just brings the church up to a whole other level of attractiveness. Especially when you see so many men turn grumpy, more demanding as we get older, and more set in our ways. And all this better living is a part of teaching what is appropriate to sound doctrine. You know, there was a, a man in our church who's, who's not here anymore, an older man. And he once told Laura, because we were singing, you know, we would sing some songs that he was familiar with and other songs that he wasn't. And he told Laura, hey, don't worry if you don't see me singing. He goes, I just don't know the song, but I'm, I'm singing in my heart. And so he encouraged her, you know, that, that was a wise thing for him to do and a caring thing for him to do and to have older men like this in the church which we do is just so helpful for a church but now look at verse 3 says likewise teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine but to teach what is good now I really don't see any older women out here Do you, Dell? No. (laughs) Good answer. But we'll just go through this anyway, so that when you get there, you'll know what to do. He tells the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Now, the word reverent has to do with the meaning of that which befits holiness. The word holy is in that word for reverent. It's part of the word. And the older women were to be taught to live lives of reverence, that which befits serving a holy God. Now last week we saw that the Cretans had a widespread reputation. One of their own said, Cretans are liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Now can you imagine what these new standards of living are going to mean to that, that part of the world where Cretans are known for that, widespread. Now, now they're going to live lives pleasing to God, according to God's standards. And all of this is sound doctrine. Paul tells these women not to be slanderers. To slander is to make an accusation against somebody in order to harm them. The word for slander is one of the the names they give to Satan, diabolos. Now, I suppose that some forms of gossip would fit into this category. And so, you know, gossip, of course, we all know can hurt people. And Paul tells them, don't be slanderers. Don't say anything against people, you know, to hurt them. And it's really... A motive behind it. And then he tells them not to be addicted to much wine, but instead teach what is good. So if these older women in the church learn to live in ways that honor God and respect God, and if they guard their speech, they don't attack people with their words, other people with their words, And if they instead teach what is good, they will be following sound doctrine. And they will shine like a bright light in their villages and in their communities. And this will make their churches much more attractive, won't it? I mean, how many times have you heard of fights in churches? People leave because there are fights in churches, right? But just think, you visit this church in Crete... And the older ladies are living reverent lives. And they aren't drinking to excess. And they aren't attacking each other with their words. I mean, what a stark contrast that would be in that culture, in that city, wherever they are. And of course, we know what that's like because we have ladies like this in our church who are very careful with their speech, care about others, and give off such a good... Um, testimony and a good life for people to, to want to come so ladies don't be shy to share your faith and reverence with others even if you think well they don't want to listen to that just gently share because you have gold you have just valuable valuable part of your life to share It's powerful and attractive. But now in verses 4 and 5, Paul tells these older women what they can teach uh, the younger women. He says, Then, you know, if the older women are living reverent lives, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children... To be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. <clears throat> These are the ways that old, that younger women or older women can teach the younger women and help them. And really, he's saying have the older women teach them to focus on their husbands and their children. At sound doctrine. Now, I'm guessing that these young Cretan women and wives were probably engaged in a number of extracurricular activities outside the home because Paul tells Titus to have them teach the younger women to love their families. That seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? But he had to tell them to teach them that, to practice self-control, to be pure, and to be busy at home, do all your, the stuff you need to do at home. So it sounds like many of the younger women don't even have the basics down that it takes to be, to be a reverent or walking with Christ. And it sounds like they're neglecting their families. They're not using self-control, many of them. They're not practicing purity. And they're not taking care of their house. Now just think of how far these churches had to go just to get started down the right path. seems like they were way off the path. Of course, these are new Christians. And, of course, the the Cretan people were not known for their kindness or their religiosity. Now, in our case, I believe the older women can help the younger women just by helping them see the light at the end of the tunnel. Say, we lived through it, you can too. And keep reminding them how, how good and godly it is <clears throat> that, that good and godly choices will reap great results in the future. And the, although I realize that this already goes on in our church, we have younger women who really care for their children and their husbands. But let this passage encourage older and younger women to keep encouraging and to keep doing and to keep serving the Lord even when it's kind of it's bearing down on you, the daily thing, and maybe thinking that you're stopping, being stopped from doing other things. They'll come. Just practice sound doctrine. Now, the last two directives in our passage of older women teaching younger women, it says, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Um, First of all, Paul ends this little section by saying, he doesn't want wrong actions from the church allowing others to blaspheme the Word of God. That means that people outside the church see these professing Christians as not living reverently for the Lord, not caring for their families, not using self-control, not practicing purity, not being kind, or taking care of their homes and not being subject to their husbands, then those outside the church will have some serious ammunition against those who go to the church and against what church is all about. In fact, Paul is saying that if the young women of the church do not practice this type of sound doctrine, whatever he was telling them, he says it's blaspheming the word of God. But now, what about this matter of young women being subject to their husbands? Is that still a thing? Now, I'm going to get into something here that can be pretty controversial in our society. But we are leaving for vacation today, so (laughs) it just came out that way. But this is a good opportunity. First of all, I have several things to say about this. First of all, there's no getting around that it just says it. It just says, be subject to your husbands. But there's more to say. Uh, There is a view that has surfaced in recent years called mutual submission. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. And it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so, people are taking this to mean, submit back and forth. And so then, they would apply it to marriage and say, okay, the wife submits to the husband, and the husband submits to the wife. Well, it doesn't actually say that, but sometimes it works out that way. But, uh, But just to make things clear... We'll go on here, and it says, the very next verse, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit submit to their husbands in everything. But we'll, We'll stop there. Then we'll get on to the next one in a minute. So you can see that as you go into the passage, it's not you submit him and she submits to you, and all that. It's not back and forth. It's submitting to one another. What happens then, as you go on in the passage, as you get past when he talks to the husband, he talks about children submitting to their parents and slaves submitting to their masters. And then he uses the word obey. And so, you know in that sense, he doesn't mean, okay, children, you submit to your parents, and sometimes parents, you submit to your children. It's not really, that doesn't make sense. Or masters and slaves, it doesn't make sense either. So really, in this passage, he is telling uh, wives to submit to their husbands. Now, I have a number of things to say about this. But the first thing I want to say is, uh, first of all, I said it does say submit. But now we're going to go and see what it says to the man, to the husband. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So now the husband is called for self-sacrifice for his wife. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So we're responsible to help them in their spiritual lives. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's what Christ is going to present the church to himself as. And husbands are supposed to sacrifice for our wives to help them become radiant and without blemish. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. So, wives are told to submit to their husbands And husbands are told to be ready to give their lives for their wives. And as Christ cares for the church, husbands are supposed to care for their wives. Husbands are supposed to care for their spiritual growth. Supposed to care for their growing in holiness. But you know, really, uh, the bigger burden lands on the husband. So he has to be responsible for what goes on in the family and that they're following God and, and that they're you know, growing in the faith and that sort of thing. But a man can disqualify himself from his position of leadership. A man can disqualify himself by not following Christ, by not loving his wife, by not being willing to sacrifice for her, And a man is never, ever, ever allowed to hit his wife, or even berate her, or treat her badly. If a woman is ever threatened by a man, you know, physically, she should leave. She should she should seek safety and she has no no command of God to stay in that place of trouble or danger or threat. <clears throat> and if a man is living like that, it's not because the Bible has told him to do that, it's because he's not really, you know, leading in love. And that's the whole thing, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And so this submitting, <clears throat> it's, not a, it's not a value thing, where a husband is more valuable than the wife so he rules over her and it's not really a ruling thing it's just a positional thing and I think there are times when a woman should separate when a husband is engaged in dangerous behavior will not listen that's when the church should go talk to him if he's part of the church I go off of God's design of male and female. And, you know, men and women are so different. And God has made men to be more aggressive, bigger, stronger, you know, just on a general scale. And that's, God has put men in a position of leadership. Now, a lot of that has changed. You know, back in, in uh, these days, when Titus, when Paul is talking to Titus, so many people were either tradesmen or farmers. And a lot of times, a husband would marry a wife that was 10, 12 years younger than him. That was was real common. Mid-20s down to early teens. You know, husband mid-20s, the wife in her teens. And so there was just that natural authority there of being older and already having set up your home and being already employed and that sort of thing. So it was probably just more natural. Today, it doesn't seem as natural because men and women so often are around, around the same age. They may both have college degrees and all that kind of stuff. What I say is, a woman can help a man become the leader he should be. She has that power. And if she helps a man become the leader he should be she's going to be much happier. And God made men to lead. But, you know, when you get two people together who love each other and who love Christ, this isn't even an issue. I haven't really seen, seen it an issue. The only time I've seen it an issue is when somebody is sinning. <clears throat> and it's not because of the Bible that they're doing it. It's because there's some problem in their life. They either don't want to you know, listen to somebody else or they're just controlling and they're they're a brutes, you know, or something like that. So it's not really the Bible that's leading us into trouble in this. It's just sin. And if we, you know, confess our sins, if we look to the truth, if we go for counseling, then that can all be straightened out and there won't even be any worry about who's supposed to submit. It never really even comes up in so many people's lives, so many people's marriages. And then, <clears throat> here's the, the, the final point I want to make. Do you know who the most submissive person that ever lived was? Jesus Christ. He was the most absolute submissive person that ever lived, and he was God in the flesh. But he loved his father so much. As you read through the Gospels, you can't get by that. He loved the father so much. And he was equal to the father. He was God in the flesh. But his father had a position higher than him. And Jesus said, the father is greater than I. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was God. So God the father really wasn't greater in essence. But he had a higher position he said the father is greater than i and but he he did everything to please his father every step he took was to please his father now i believe that jesus <clears throat> when the holy spirit came upon him at his baptism i believe that he was led his whole 3 years by that holy spirit and that was god speaking to him and, and guiding him and he said the words I speak, they're not mine, they're from the Father. And the things I do, they're not, they don't come from me, they come from the Father. I think that shows that he was working in his, in his humanity led by the Spirit of God, which comes from the Father. And so, <clears throat> if you want to think of submission, and you want to see in its best light, It's Jesus with the Father. And that's by him following the Father and not, you know, when he was tempted or when somebody was trying to get him to go astray of what the Father wanted. He just wouldn't do it. He just submitted himself to the Father. And now he is raised up and he is going to be king over the whole universe. King Jesus after submission. So, <clears throat> I want to say that when older men are honorable, worthy of respect, when older women are teaching the younger women, women and they live reverent lives, that makes a church so attractive. Because you come in and there's peace, and there's joy, and there's love flowing between people, People are excited to see each other. And it goes deeper than just friendship. It goes into a spiritual realm of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so I commend our church for having godly people in all these age categories. And I think our church, we should be talking to people, neighbors and everybody, because this will attract people that are looking for the truth let's pray father we thank you for your word we thank you for just the the way that you have preserved it for us and the way that we can learn from it and the way that we can go back to it time and time and time again and thank you for the accessibility that we have in this nation And we pray for those who keep getting the Scriptures out to other people in other lands, even where it's illegal. And Lord, we thank you for their bravery. And we pray for those who have just little pieces of Scripture and that they could follow you and find comfort by your Spirit through them. We thank you for this, and I thank you for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.